there eventually. But also, if you could in your Bible, turn it back to Joshua chapter 6. Because we're going to hang out in there for a little bit too at some point. So you might as well just have your finger ready on both, both places. So Joshua chapter 6. I'll get mine ready too. And then Ephesians chapter 3. It's always good to hang out in the Old Testament for a little bit. See what's going on over there. Alright, so Joshua, what page is that in case people need it? Joshua chapter, what is it? 154? Okay. So 154, and then the Ephesians 3 was page 829. Alright. So in case people needed the page numbers, there you go. And of course, anytime you get lost in the front cover, you got the table of contents, so that always helps you too. Okay, let's open up in prayer. So, Lord, I thank you um, for our time together. I ask, Father, that uh, you'd bless it. I ask, Lord, that you could uh, speak through me and that uh, I would not taint or get in the way or, uh, of what you're trying to say, uh, of what you're trying to do, uh, of how you're trying to move and work, Lord. So I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to have your way up here while we study your word. I pray, Father, that this would not be purely educational and purely intellectual, but may it lead to actually being transformational. That's what we desire, Lord. That's what we're called to be, is changed. Changed. And Father, I just pray, Lord, you also uh, bless Sunday school downstairs. Bless the message, bless the seeds being planted. And uh, I just pray, God, that you'd give lots of grace and lots of patience and lots of mercy in the nursery next door, Lord. All those diapers and all those, all those beautiful little faces, Lord. May just give um, the people serving over there, Father, extra measure of grace. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title of the message is Changed. That's why it says in your bulletin, it says Changed. So we're picking up um, on Ephesians chapter 3. And like I said, you have your finger in Joshua uh, chapter 6. So, as I was thinking about this passage w- this week, um, it made me think about uh, and brought my mind uh, to places um, that, I don't know, just a lot of stuff started to pour out. So I just feel like, you know, that's just the Holy Spirit just kind of confirming as far as what kind of message, um, you know, we should be talking about and like, you know, what He wants to say and what He wants to address. Um, and so, to give you an idea of where we're headed this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about circumstances and situations. Circumstances and situations. Here's what I mean by that. Um, circumstances and situations, uh, they definitely help shape and mold us. They affect us. There's no denying that, right? No matter what kind of news it is. So whether it's you drove on the way to church and you got a ticket, which that's happened to me before, um, or, um, or, you know, you find out, uh, you know, somebody in the family um, just got, like, a really unfortunate uh, medical report. You know what I mean? Like, these are situations and circumstances. Um, so whether, you know, you spilled your coffee on yourself, 
or he got stuck in traffic, right? All these things help mold and shape kind of how we're going throughout the day. And uh, bless you. And so, one thing that I think that we want to be careful of, and one thing that made me think of, is this um, idea of situations and circumstances being a little bit too powerful. So they should affect us, and they'll probably bring our minds and our emotions particular places. But for the Christian, for the Christ follower, there's like kind of a cutoff where it's like, okay, that's too far. It, it, it shouldn't be going like this. It should not be consuming. It should not just, now the rest of the day is just going to be bad. So now I'm just going to be depressed about it. I'm just going to be frustrated. I'm just going to be filled with grief. Um, I don't even know why I woke up today. Jeez, if this is the way things are going to go, whatever. You know, like that would be going too far, you know, for the Christian. So, um, circumstances, you know, there's a couple of phrases we're going to be talking about today, and I'll probably say them as we go through the message, but these are the two um, phrases that I'll probably just keep coming back to. Um, One is don't give too much power to your circumstances. The Christian cannot give too much power to his or her circumstances. Because when that happens, then that becomes the God of the day. Because everything is just revolving around the circumstances. So whether it's a good day, whatever that is, and whether it's a bad day, whatever that is, that's up to our interpretation and how scary is that. So then now we start to judge the good or the bad day and then what we do is then we put we could put God into this box and saying, well, um, hopefully this is going to be a good day. And then when it's a bad day, you know, we flip out and then we put God on trial and then we give Him ultimatums and then things get weird. So that's one thought and one phrase that you'll be hearing. Don't give too much power to your circumstances. The other phrase is don't let life speak louder than truth. Don't let life speak louder than truth. Which is kind of similar to the first one. Um, and we'll explain more about those things. Now, one issue that definitely comes up, and I think it's a reasonable question. So if these circumstances and situations, number one, do we have like the power to allow them to take over? Like how much power can they get? Do we actually, do we hold the keys to it? Or are we just sort of victims and we just, we get, it gets dumped on us and then we just react? So, it, where do we fall in that? Now, somebody that is not a Christian and does not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, I'd say, you know what? They're probably really going to go up and down a lot through life, try and be as positive or optimistic the best that they can, and that's really the best that they got. For a Christian, when you actually have a piece of God living inside of you, the rules change a little bit. All of a sudden, we got some different keys, and we have some different access capabilities. Let me give you a couple of passages to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. So, John 16.33. So this is how... Jesus, and, and we'll look at a couple other ones, where Paul, they think that situations and circumstances should 
be in the Christian's life. Here's what Jesus says. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So that's what Jesus says. We should have peace. There's going to be trouble, but take heart, I've overcome. That doesn't sound desperate. That doesn't sound grief-stricken. That doesn't sound full of anxiousness. That sounds kind of empowering. Very different attitude. Or look at this next one. Romans uh, 8.37 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it's written, For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But look at this last part here. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So God on the last side, Jesus is saying, man, don't worry about it. I'll give you peace. I've overcome the world. You're going to overcome the world. Then we got this other passage where Paul says, more than conquerors. So like, you're not just going to be victorious, man. You're just going to be living on a whole other plane. Where situations and circumstances, they might have some effect, but they don't dominate. And then take a look at the last one here. This last one is just like the icing on the cake. This just sets it home. This is the trump card right here. 1 John 4.4 4. says, Dear children, you, are, you are, are from God and have overcome them. Uh, overcome. Again, right? Keep seeing this word. Because the one who is in you, right, for the Christian, the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit that's in you, is greater than the one who is in the world. That's only three passages. It's a pretty big book right there. There's a lot of other stuff. I highlight those specific ones because you can see the thought that's layered throughout it that the Christian, we're talking Christians, the Christ believers, the life that is submitted and surrendered. The Christian is supposed to be controlled by peace, supposed to be overcoming, and is supposed to be in the mindset of whatever happens, good, bad, or whatever, greater is He that is in me than He that's in the world. So I don't care what comes my way. God's got it. He is in control. It's passed through His loving fingertips. And He's fully equipped me for the works, good or bad, that He has in front of me. So I think that it seems to imply that at least the Christian has some power. It's not a total, we are not total victims to our circumstances. So is it a good day? Is it a bad day? I don't know how much that really matters in the whole scheme of things. Good day, bad day. They might affect. I mean, certainly, if I spilled my oatmeal on myself, which just happened like the other day, if I spilled my oatmeal on myself, you know, in the morning, and it's like, oh, you know, this is the way the day's starting. You know, and then, you know, I get behind somebody slow on the way to work, which actually that did happen that day. Um, you know, those should be minor annoyances. Shouldn't just toss in the whole towel right there and be like, oh, I'm done, you know, whatever. And, and shoot, we do that. We definitely do that. Throwing a little bit of lack of sleep and maybe didn't eat, and it's very easy to do that. Or sometimes a little bit more serious. So uh, my son Jaron that came up here this morning, 
Uh, he had, he's got those glasses on, right? He had eye surgery uh, not too long ago. And uh, the doctors went in, they actually cut his eyeballs, and they moved some muscles so that way it helped to align his eyes. Um, he's a little bit farsighted, but he got the surgery so that way, you know, his right eye isn't going over here and his left eye over here. Or, uh, you know, one's going this way. Or, so they're in tandem, so they're perfectly aligned. So, um, needless to say, that put Julie and I through the ringer, you know, praying about it and got us concerned. You know, it's your kids, your little ones, and then doctors are going to come in and, you know, put a knife on their eyeballs, you know. Nobody likes that news. So the other day, I'm sitting there a couple weeks ago. I'm sitting with Jaren. We're goofing around, doing whatever we're doing. I don't know. Probably throwing things or playing with cars. I don't know. And uh, I'm talking with him. And, you know, so he's got his glasses on. And I see his left eye, like, taken off this way. I'm like, come on. So immediately, my circumstance, my situation, right? So he's been through this thing already. The doctor was just nothing but... Um, optimistic and completely happy about the surgery and just said how great it was and so hey awesome you know praise God will we also be praising God later if something wrong happens you know we'll see but um, his eye is going off to the left now so I'm like ah immediately I can feel the old nature just kick in right we've been homeschooled in another nature right so if we've been born again the spirit is trying to take over trying to renew our mind change our thinking and transform us but the old nature Immediately right away, I see that left eye go. It just start. You, you just feel it, and you probably don't tell me. You just feel it rise up. You start to worry immediately. Next thought: Oh my gosh, what happened? Oh my gosh, we're going to go to another surgery. Oh my gosh, what if they mess up the eye this time? And like, what if you can't see out of there? And before you know it, literally, probably in about three minutes, I can have him missing an eye, pretty much being a pirate, and having no hope in life, and just, and then praying against that. It's craziness. And we can do these things to ourselves based on the circumstance and based on the situation. And that ain't right. For the Christian, the response is, well, hey, if the eye's going off to the left, you know what? God is still God. He's still on the throne. He still is who He says He is. He still loves me because Jesus still died on the cross for my sins. That doesn't change. So now the option for the Christ follower is, how do I handle this, you know, anxiousness and worry and depression coming on me? No. The response for the Christ follower is, how do I bring Jesus into this situation? How do I blast this situation now with His power, love, grace, mercy, and truth? That's what we're called to do. That's being transformed. That's not being controlled and be, by reactions and things that happen to me. It's standing firm and true in the promises that He already said are true. And living in the fact that we are being restored back to the Father and being made into the person that God originally saw when He created us. Because when we were born, we were born right into sin and sin, boom, entered the show. And it started to where our lives are going to go down a particular track because sin was involved and we were going to become, or at least we're heading towards, not the original design that God had for us. So the original Jared, or the original, whatever your name is, put in the blank, original Michael, right? The original Georgina, the original Tabitha. God sees the original person without the sin. Like, that's what He had in mind. And then sin came into the picture. We were born into it. 
by default, without a choice, because of the enemy. And so we're jacked up from go. But God knows this. And He sends His Son. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I, I see what you look like without any sin. I see what I had in mind when I created you. This sin is in the way. I'll send my Son to take care of that and pay for that. That's the way He's looking at this thing. So the circumstances, ah, you just got to go, ah, whatever. They're going to happen. Good and bad. And we, and how do you even, and that's the tough part, good and bad. How do you even classify those days? I just can, you know, kind of classify them as like kind of rougher days and not so rough days. Nonetheless, I think we're supposed to be victorious and overcomers. And honestly, usually a pretty good day for a Christian is probably a day where we could just respond fairly quickly to His voice and surrender in whatever He was asking us to do. That's a pretty good day, no matter what happens. So circumstances, situations. Don't give too much power to our circumstances. Don't let life speak louder than truth. So I was thinking about these situations and circumstances. You guys with me? Yes? We're following here? Okay. And I promise you, we're getting to Ephesians. I didn't forget. We're getting there. But the other side of that is, honestly, we're only doing verse 1 in Ephesians chapter 3. So that's why I had you put your finger in Joshua. So, just so you know. Just so you know. So I'm thinking about these situations and circumstances... We're talking about the Christ follower now, or at least someone who claims to be a Christ follower. Whatever they are, hopefully they cause us to go back to God. Hopefully like our reaction to it is not to clam up and um, not engage the Lord at all. Hopefully there's some engagement to God based on a circumstance or situation. Hopefully that's what we do. And uh, I said engage. So we could engage God and I thought of one of three ways here. Depending upon the situation, we could be just crying out and going, Why? God, why? Why is this coming? Why is this happening? I don't understand. Why, 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 why? That one can drive us nuts for a long time. Or, something could have happened, and we're just like, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Or, the last one that I thought of was that we just tee off on him. I wrote that down in my notes. You just tee off on him. God, what are you doing? This is awful. If I was God, I would not be doing this. And if I was a perfect, loving father, yeah, I wouldn't be doing this. Like, and I'm not as smart as you are, so what are we doing? You know, like we just tee off on them. So ask why, thank you, or tee off on them. So I had two thoughts about these situations. You know, so we got these whys, maybe thank yous, maybe teeing off on them. I want to talk about this one part first, though. This is really important. This is not the super uh, fun thing to talk about, but it's a necessary and critical thing to talk about. Um, Because I think that there's this thread that um, runs through at least some churches. We try and make sure it doesn't happen in our church, but we're still flesh and human, and it can still get into our minds. Um, There's this thread and this idea of thinking that God, um, He just loves everybody, 
and which he does love people, um, but he's totally gracious and he'll totally just kind of work with people and kind of whatever you give him, he'll just sort of work with. And like parts of that is true, but another part of God's character that we can't forget and we can't miss is that there's a holiness aspect to it. We're in his presence, like some things that just don't happen. Just because he's God, because he created the entire universe. And some things they just, you can't do that. We just can't do these things. There's a certain amount of holiness. So, yes, he's gracious. Yes, he loves us. But at the same time, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you some things, and you've got to respond a particular way. So, we're talking about situations and circumstances, right? So, one thought I had, this initial one, and then we'll close up a little bit with the Ephesians. First thought. Sometimes situations are being brought about because of our intentional disobedience slash unwillingness to go along with what He's told us. Sometimes, in other words, layman's terms, we shoot ourselves in the foot. We just flat out cock that shotgun up. Boom! What happened? (laughs) You mean what happened? You actually pumped the shotgun, you pointed it, and you pulled the trigger. That is what happened. Well, I know it was loaded. (laughs) Like, God has said particular things through His Word to the Christ follower. Some things we're trying to figure out, we're trying to grow, we're trying to learn, we're at different places with God in a relationship with Him. Some things in His Word, He's made really clear. And to ignore those, and then question God and say, why is this happening? Why do we keep getting here? Why are these things going on? Well, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Like maybe God is saying, hey listen, I've said these things for a particular reason, because we need to work on holiness here, and then I can bring it to some other things in life. So sometimes when we cry out, why in a situation, it could very well be very much self-inflicted based on what God has said and ministered to our hearts and we just maybe flat out ignored or just put off or procrastinated or gave some weak justification, which we've all done. So a couple things that I thought of, right? Jesus makes it really clear. He tells us, be a forgiving type of people. Be a kind type of people. Be patient type of people. You know, those type of people that we should be. We're all working on that. We're all working on that. Hopefully, some people aren't. They're just like, well, I'm just going to be who I'm going to be. And they're just hypercritical. Don't tell me. I can't. I'm not going to change. I shouldn't have to change. I am who I am. Man, you're shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, if you're a person who's not very forgiving, kind, and patient... You ain't going to have too many friends. And uh, people are going to be hypercritical towards you. And uh, people aren't going to share a lot really with you. And you're probably going to be kind of a jerk. Right? It's not fun to hang around. You know? But hopefully we're working, right? That's the idea. The people that just shut it off right from the beginning, they're shooting themselves in the foot. Well, how about another one? Right? God says, 
no sex and keep it pure. Right? Sex for the married couple for the marriage bed. And he is really clear as far as what purity is. He's saying, hey, listen. As soon as you surrendered your life to me, I have purchased your bodies, your physical bodies. Not only have I saved you for all of eternity, not only do I want to change your life in the present and give you victory and have you overcome in ways you've never have before, because now my spirit is there, I also own your physical bodies. And what do we do? Eh, Maybe I'll try and stop. I'll think about it for a while. It's like not an aggressive pursuit towards man cutting that thing out. Don't understand that. So people are like, I don't understand what's going on. My relationship, you know, it's rocky, and we're like, you know, we're going up and down, and you know, things are going on. And like, listen, we can't be Christians or Christ followers and claim to be that, but then handle a sexuality in a way that we just think is okay, which sort of incorporates God. When in reality, God wants to dominate. He's died for it all. He's paid for it all. That's the Christian life. Not to just incorporate and sprinkle Him in there, but allow Him to have full reign and have His way. So if a relationship is struggling and going through some difficult things, man, I hope we're not shooting ourselves in the foot. Well, I understand, you know, my wife is like giving me her time. We're always fighting and da 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 why are you handling that? Like, are you checking out porn in the background? Well, you know, she's being a jerk though. What am I supposed to do? No. Like, we're making things more difficult here. Well, my husband doesn't listen, you know, and he doesn't care, and da 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 Hopefully you're not getting, like, emotionally involved with some other guy somewhere else. That's going to be problems. Shooting yourself in the foot. Right? So these are circumstances and situations where We're not helping ourselves. You know what I mean? We're not helping ourselves. So when we come to God, God, why? Well, listen, I'm telling you, I, I'm telling you in your word what I'm expecting, the basics that are required, try and stick to those the best you can and we're going to move on. Be repentful in those things, confess those things, and then we can walk together. God says, abide in me. Like he flat out just says that. Jesus says, abide in my, uh, I abide uh, in my Father, you also abide in Him. It's just flat out, it just says it. I don't know if I'm going to like read this week, you know, I don't know if I'm going to pray, I don't know if I have time, I don't know if I can fit it in really, got a lot of stuff going on, I'm not feeling like really good, life has sort of been, and who has time for that? You're shooting yourself in the foot. Like He says abide, this is just like a basic bottom line thing for the Christian. Abide and spend time. Get alone. Pour out your heart. Get in the Word. See what it says. Look at the notes from Sunday. Listen to something on the radio. We got 106.9 now. It's pretty awesome, right? You know? Get some teaching on there. Like, something. We're around stuff. Like, get alone. You know, abide. These are baseline things. Well, I don't understand. I don't know what God is doing, you know? And um, I just feel... You know, I asked God to change certain things, and He's not changing certain things, and so I don't know what to do now, and I don't even know if He loves me. And... Pray for me. Well, many times it's like, yeah, you know, let's pray, but have you even talked to him for like 10 minutes about it? And just asked him and put it before him, wrote it in a journal, 
found a verse maybe that could speak and minister to your heart? Like these are baseline things and we're shooting ourselves in the foot. God, why? Why? What are you doing? Where are we going? And here's the complaint part and then like we're disconnected for a whole, whole rest. Can you imagine if I just spoke with Julie that way? I just like showed up in the house and just complained about a whole bunch of stuff and then I just walked out and got like zero feedback. What kind of relationship is that? It's craziness. But we do that with God for some reason. Check out this Joshua verse, right? So we were there. Joshua 6. Right? There is a certain amount of holiness that God, that God demands and requires from His people. Grace is certainly there. Love is there. But holiness is demanded. That's who He is. It can't be separated. can't be separated. So it's like the two work together and it's balanced with an, with like an authenticity and an intimacy that's rooted in repentance and confession before Him. Like that's the way these things get balanced out. Because some people can just say, Harp really hard on holiness. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to, I call them the finger waggers. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And maybe some of what they're saying is true. But after a while, if you just keep telling everybody what to do, like you're just loading things on them. That's not giving a whole lot of room for the grace to come in and work. And having an understanding God be patient and minister and speak to them. But at the same time, you could have the lovers and the feelers come in and, oh, there's so much love. And there's so much grace and it just covers everything. And, and that can be translated as, oh, I can kind of do what I want. And if I sort of give God a little bit, He'll just kind of work with me. Oh, that ain't true either. Right? It's both working together through repentance and confession and an intimate relationship with Him. Look what happens here with Joshua. So go to verse 18. This is God speaking. To Joshua. They're about to go take over a particular territory, Jericho. You guys may have heard the story, right? Jericho, they're going to march around. World's dumbest battle plan of all time. Go march around a city and blow a trumpet and you're going to win? Yeah. No guns? What's it? No tanks? Verse 18, take a look at what God says. And then I'm going to show you something. It says, But keep away from the devoted things. When he says devoted things, that means when they go in and they, and they conquer this place and he gives it to them, he's saying, keep away from the things that they devoted to their gods and their idols. Because this group of people had their gods, their idols. It wasn't Yahweh, Jehovah God. It was another God. And um, God's saying, hey, listen, when you go in there and you take it, um, this stuff that they had devoted, and it was nice stuff. It was like gold, it was like silver, it was worth money. You know? He's saying, hey, just stay away from that. Don't touch that. So, but keep away from devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. They're going to bring trouble on Israel if they hold on to this stuff. Verse 19. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into His treasury. So nobody holds on to it. Just put it right into the God's treasury. Just give it right to Him. Don't be tempted by it. So that's what he says. Kind of like what we were talking about here. Live in purity. Abide in Him. 
pray about all things, try and be forgiving. Like these are things that he has said. Just like he's saying here, don't hold on to these items. So take a look at what happens. Now go Joshua 7, the next chapter. Take a look at this. And we're going to pick up um, verse, verse 2. It says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. They've already conquered Jericho, which is near Beth-Avon. Of course, you all know where that is. To the east of Bethel and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and they spied out this region. So they already conquered Jericho. It's done deal. They did it. They won. They conquered. It's awesome. So verse 3 says, when they returned to Joshua, these spies, I went to check out this other land, right? They already got Jericho. Checking out this other land. So some spies came back. He says, not all the people will have to go up. He said, hey, listen, we're not going to need to like, send all of our army. These guys are pretty small, actually. Like, we, don't, we don't need all hands on deck here. Send two or 3,000 men. Don't take everybody. Just send two or 3,000. To take it and do not weary all the people. For only a few men are there. So about 3,000 men went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai. So this little town, they thought, they didn't need much. They got their butts beat. Verse 5. Who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. They just conquered Jericho, which is a huge city with huge walls. They have this little rinky-dink town Something like Bethany. Eh, send a few people over there. We can go handle that. They got like more cows than people. It's all good. They get routed. Verse 6. Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. So these guys, right? Joshua's leading. You have elders. Um, They're praying. They pour dust on their heads. They're in super like repent mode. And Joshua said, Oh, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the... Here we go, right? Situation, situation and circumstances. He's crying out and saying, Why? Why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? God, why are you doing this? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies... The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and wipe out your name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? So like situations, circumstances happen. They're getting rocked by the situation, circumstance. They're repenting. They got dust on their heads. And um, they then ask God why. Then put him on trial and say, God, what are we doing? Why didn't you just kill us like before somewhere else? And like everybody's going to see this. And so supposedly this great God that you are people aren't going to get it because apparently you let your people just die with, by their enemies. So I love this. Verse 10 says, The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. What are you doing on your face? Just get off, man. You guys shot yourself in the foot. Verse 11, Israel sinned. They violated my covenant. I command them to keep. They took some of the devoted things they've stolen. They've lied. They put them with their own possessions. And that's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. 
And, you know, this is a part of God's character we can't ignore. Grace, love, and mercy is definitely there. Holiness is also there. So when he says particular things, man, we've got to try and live in those particular things. This is the same God, the Old Testament, same God. So don't take that stuff. And then if you do, it's going to cause a separation. And you know, we can be reconciled to each other if you deal with that stuff and get rid of it. That doesn't change in the New Testament. So when he tells us, you know, we've got to be forgiving, we have to um, abide in Him, we have to handle our lives with a certain uh, 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 purity. Like, those are things that we have to try and do. Things that we've got to try and do. And hopefully we're not shooting ourselves in the foot and then saying, God, why? Why is this not working out? How come I don't understand what you're doing? How come you feel so far away? Let's hopefully we're not shooting ourselves in the foot. So that was the first thought. And that was the one I wanted to get out of the way first. Because some situations and some circumstances are largely due to the individual either intentionally, probably intentionally, just being flat out disobedient to what God has asked. They're trying to give him certain parts, but not give him all parts. And we're going to just run into frustration and difficulty when that happens. And we'll probably run to other Christians and pray for me, you know, and help me, and da-da-da-da-da. Man, give him everything. Just give him everything. And then let's go from there. So now the next scenario. Let's assume and let's say, someone's working through. They're trying to give God everything. They're trying to be repentful. They're trying to confess before God. They're trying to maintain intimacy with Him. So let's say that is the case. That's a good place to be. That doesn't, notice I didn't say they're perfect. I just said that they're trying to live a lifestyle of repentance and confession being honest before God. That's a great place to be. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do in our lives. So if that's the case... Situations and circumstances, they're just going to happen. They're just going to happen. Whether it's just life happening, or whether there's an enemy behind the scene trying to heavily manipulate situations, things are going to happen. Can you imagine Job? Remember Job, right? God was a righteous man. He'd get up early every morning. He knew his kids weren't following the Lord. His wife was kind of on the fence and get up early every morning, offer sacrifices, pray for his entire family, for his kids, and this guy was righteous. He said there's no one righteous like him in all the land. And he gets blasted. He gets blasted. His kids die. His wife is like, this is like a joke. You've given all of what you've had to God. He's basically just taking it all away. Just curse him and like be done with this thing. What kind of God is that? And then he himself physically, he gets like these boils all over his skin, you know, and just situations and circumstances. And uh, his mindset and his posture was, well, if God was bringing all that stuff before, he must have also allowed this. And so then we get that song that sometimes we think we sing on Sundays, Blessed be your name, whether you give or whether you take away. And that's hopefully the mindset for the Christian, whether you give it, whether you take it away. Whether I got my kids, whether I got my stuff, and everything's just kind of cruising, or whether all hell is breaking loose. 
Because if it's just a relationship where we can just come to church and raise our hands when the rent is paid, and then we can't come to church and not raise our hands when the rent is not paid, it's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. So what does this have to do with Ephesians 3? You thought I forgot. I didn't forget. I didn't forget. I didn't forget. That's why I said we're only doing verse 1 because, man, we just got to get the background stuff because context is everything, right? Context really is everything. The details of what's happening is really everything. And I say all that to set the context for Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. That's really all we're going to get to. It says, For this reason, I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he goes on in verse 2, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace, and blah, 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 we'll get to that next week. But verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Context is everything. Everything. You can just read that, look that one over, and just like move on to the next one. It's probably not one you'd put on your refrigerator. Might not post that one on Facebook. Not a whole lot there, really. But the context is huge. He is writing this letter from prison. This is where he's at. He's in prison. He's chained up. He's probably also chained to somebody who's with him. That's what they would do. He'd be on house arrest, have somebody else chained with him, and um, completely bogus trial. He had done nothing wrong. The charges were completely bogus. Justice was not administered or fairly given in this case at all. And this is not his first time in jail. This is like his third time in jail. He's kind of a jailbird. And in this letter, you will not find, nor any of his other letters, will you ever find him ever once complain about the situation that he's in. He's in jail. He didn't do anything wrong. All he's done is follow God. This is the guy that when he was walking around through a town, a city, it's recorded that if his shadow fell on people, they would get healed. He had an apron that he would just bless. It would just like heal people. It's incredible. And here he is, sitting in jail, not, hadn't done anything wrong. All that he had done was be completely 110% faithful to what God has asked him to do. And some people could see that and say, what kind of God is that? That's how he rewards those who follow him? That's the old flesh. That's the way that seems right to a man. That's what we're born in. That's what comes easily. That's what comes natural. We're not called to function or live in that. Supposedly, God lives in us. And supposedly, He's going to transform us by the renewing of our mind. Chances are, we would not have 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, two-thirds of the New Testament, if this guy was not in jail, forced to write down all these letters. We wouldn't be reading it this morning. Do you think he knew that then? He had no idea. No idea at all. 
And the way he phrases it, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. So he sees himself not as a prisoner to Rome, but as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Saying, you know what? He put me in these chains. I don't know why. He allowed this to happen. I don't know why. I'm not going to spend a lot of time figuring out why. What I am going to spend time in is living in the truth. I know that He loves me. He sent His Son to die on the cross for me. That was taken care of. That's done. I know that He promises throughout His own word multiple places never to leave nor forsake. He makes that very clear. So He must have a plan for me while I'm here in this situation. And his thinking is like, you know what? Jesus has put me in these chains. And his renewed mind is saying, you know what? I will blast everything with Jesus. Because my life isn't about my circumstances. It's just about giving glory and honor to Him. That's all our lives are about. And until we actually get that and get a hold of that, and if we keep fighting God on that, we're going to have issues and problems. We're going to keep button heads. I think I have 2 Corinthians up there. 2 Corinthians 5, maybe 15. Uh, no, it's 2 Corinthians. Did I put it up there? I might not have. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 5, 15. We could turn there real quick if you want. Or I'll just read it for you. Second Corinthians 5.15 says this. And He died for all that those who live, that's us, and He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. So He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them. That's it. That's what we're called to do. We're just called to live for Him. Like, that's it. And we let this other stuff creep in there. Like, at the end of the day, I will stand before God. Like, I'm not here, you know, to just be married to Julie, to just have kids, to just provide a life, and, you know, to just maybe, you know, to build up a retirement. Like, that's, that, no. No. Maybe He'll take me through those things and we'll do that. But honestly, at the end of the day, I'll be responsible before Him about how did I let Jesus shine in my marriage? How did we act in such a way to where His light could just shine thoroughly on a man and a woman and Mary? How did we raise our kids and just let the light of shine, just let the light of Christ just shine all through that? Just splatter Jesus all over those kids. Just love them right into the kingdom. Not hoping to God one day that they say a prayer. Oh God, I ask you into my heart. But man, we were just able to just show them Christ's love. And they're like, oh, I can see what it's like to be a Christian. That's what I want to do. My parents didn't have to preach it. I mean, I was able to see it. Like, that's, you know, what we're called to do. Called to pray for the bosses and for the coworkers that suck. Right? Yeah, I said that. That sucks sometimes. Right? They're just being difficult. They're being frustrating. I got them and you got them. Fact of the matter is, they probably wouldn't be that way if they knew that they were being that way. If they could really see themselves through Christ's eyes, they probably wouldn't be that way. They wouldn't want to be that way. So God's been changing my heart and my prayer life towards people that are difficult 
at work. Man, God just blessed this guy. He needs your love in his life. He's just he's just jacked up on stuff. He needs your freedom. He needs to be set free from you. You love him just as much as you love me. Change his life. Like, redeem it. And hopefully when he comes in contact with me, I can help to relay some of that love that you have for him. Then I'm not thinking about how I'm going to get back and like hide things and just gossip about him with somebody else. Stupid. That's a way that seems right to a man. We're not called to live in that stuff anymore. It's about change. It's about transformation. That's what it's about for the Christian. It's about change. It's about transformation. Because many people just think, well, you just go to church and that's good. That's what good Christians do. It's just a thing that they could do. Good, good Christians change. To have somebody who's been sitting in a pew or sitting in a chair for the past 20, 25 years and they're still angry, they're still bitter, they're still resentful, they still act the same way, they're still hostile, they still talk rude to their wife and they still got a problem with their kids. You can't tell me that they're a good Christian because they have, hey, they have good attendance for the past like 17 years at church. So. No. It's about change. We're trying to be changed into new people. Jesus Christ, through His Holy Spirit that lives in us, is looking to change us. So hopefully, man, we won't shoot ourselves in the foot and we're going to fill ourselves with the truth and abide in Him and stay in that light and let Him flow through us. And good or bad or whatever, it doesn't matter. We just want to be focused on how can I be Jesus in this situation? Right? That's it. That's what our focus is. So as far as Paul's concerned, it's like, whatever. I'm in jail. I'm in jail. I'm in these prisons. My life is not my own. God's going to speak to this somehow. Here we go. Splattering Jesus everywhere. So what we're going to do is we're going to take, uh, we're going to take communion. For those that want to take communion, I wouldn't take communion if... Um, you know, you wouldn't say that you're in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you know, you're trying to abide in Him and submit and surrender all areas of life. Because otherwise, communion doesn't make any sense. It's just like a routine thing that you do, and that's not kingdom stuff, right? That's not kingdom stuff. That's not what we're doing. So if you'd like to take part in communion, and by taking part in communion, you are saying, Lord, I want you, Lord, in my life. I want everything in my life to flow and filter through you not saying I'm going to do it perfect, but that's what I want, and that's what I'm committed to, then you want to take communion with us. Um, we're going to play um, that last song, Your Great Name, and uh, the elements are right up here. So if you could, as the song plays, just come on up. Take your elements, hold on to them, and then we'll take them together. <clears throat>